2 Timothy chapter 1, 8 through 18. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been made manifest through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phagellus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Anisphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. You may be seated. Good to see you all here this morning on this uh, warm summer day. <laughs> anyway, bitter cold out, but pray that God just warms our hearts today with his fire and his power from his word and by his spirit as we worship together. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this day and for your word. And Lord, I pray that you would use it today to fuel a fire in our hearts, Lord, uh, so that we would not be ashamed of the gospel, but that we would take every opportunity, God, that we would be faithful to take every opportunity to proclaim Christ in a spirit of meekness and gentleness. Lord, we were once far off from you. We were once blind. We were once headed for destruction, but God, you... In your grace and mercy, you opened our eyes. So we've got nothing to be proud of in and of ourselves, God. It was because you intervened in our lives. But now that you have, God, and we see the true light in life that's in the gospel, God, we, we do want other people to know. And, and Lord, sadly, we often pass up on opportunities. Maybe we don't even see them, or maybe we're afraid to take them or we're ashamed. But today, God, show us how, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to walk in victory over fear and shame so that we might be faithful to proclaim the name of Jesus. In his name I pray, amen. So, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 through 18. Uh, keep your Bibles open. Please take notes today on your bulletins or a notepad so you can continue to be thinking through the word as this week goes along. So last night, Sammy came down to the basement when I was working on my sermon, and he told me that the Chiefs won the football game. I said, well, that's good news. 
The good news of victory, it's really sweet, isn't it, to hear um, even something so simple and trivial as your favorite football team winning a game. But it's good news. And I thought to myself, am I ashamed of this good news about the Chiefs winning? And I thought, well, I'm, I'm not ashamed at all if I'm talking to a Chiefs fan. I mean, I can give them high fives and and be happy and celebrate. But then I thought, what if I was talking to a Miami fan? Would that change the way that I talk about the game? And I have found in myself a tendency to alter what I'm going to say, depending on what another person thinks or believes. Have you ever seen that in yourself? I love Jesus as long as I'm around my Christian friends. But when I get out and outside the the walls of the church, I'm really hesitant to open my mouth about him or even among our Christian friends when we know that we have gospel truth that they need to hear. But it's it's going to confront a sin in their lives or it's or it's going to it's going to affect our relationship or it has that potential to even maybe cost us a friendship. We can really back down. Now, it's one thing if I hold back my feelings about the the Chiefs around Miami fans because it really doesn't matter in the long run, does it? But when it comes to the matters of eternal importance, I cannot afford to be silent. Regardless of who the person is and where I am, I must open my mouth when the Holy Spirit is giving me the opportunity. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Absolutely. Brothers and sisters, are you taking the opportunities on a daily basis to be bold with the gospel? Think about it. That question, if you're like me, will nail you right to your chair. Are you taking the opportunities on a daily basis to be bold with the gospel? Why or why not? Are you on fire for Christ or are you ashamed of the gospel? If I could offer you a pill today that you could take and become as brave and fearless as the Apostle Paul, would you take it? We should all say, yes, I would do anything to get my hands on whatever it was that made Paul so brave. And so unashamed about the gospel. What was his secret? How did he do that? How did he live so faithfully when I often find myself cowering and passing up on opportunities? I would love to be like Paul. Well, today we're going to learn the secret to Paul's boldness and his drive and his determination. That should get you excited. We're going to learn how Paul was the way he was. We're going to learn why he was who he was and how he could boast at the end of his life when he was on death row. I am not ashamed of the gospel. I have finished the race. I have fought the good fight. I have defended this with my life. I'm going to give my life for this message. I am not ashamed. We're going to learn the secret to his boldness. And here's the good news for all of us. If we're faithful to put into practice these secrets, we will grow. And we will become just like him. Last week, we saw Paul praying earnestly for Timothy. 
you remember that last week? Second Timothy chapter one, verse three. I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. I remember your tears. I long to see you. I love you so much, Timothy, he says, that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith. Timothy, I know you believe in Jesus. Timothy, I love you. Timothy, I'm praying nonstop for you. Paul was praying earnestly for Timothy and encouraging him and even commanding him to fan into flame the gift that was in him. In verse six, he says, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the Lord did not give us a spirit of cowardice is the Greek word. He didn't make us a a cowardly. He gave us a spirit of power and love and of a sound mind. So Timothy was given a gift of leadership. He was given the ability to lead the church and strengthen the church and preach the truth to the church. But he was facing two of the enemies, the greatest enemies of the Christian life. He was facing fear and shame. Timothy was faced with the decision to be on fire for the gospel or to retreat from the battle lines. And if we're being honest, we often find ourselves in the same battle. Will we be bold and faithful to proclaim who Jesus is or will we choose to back down because we're afraid or ashamed? Fear and shame are two of the greatest weapons that the enemy uses against us. But today we will see how to understand and how to overcome these enemies through the power of the gospel. Brothers and sisters, if you're like me, you just you find yourself backing down from opportunities to to share and you feel afraid. And then sometimes you even feel ashamed or maybe you do try to share and the conversation gets shut down and then you feel ashamed and you just leave confused. Why does that happen? Why? Why do we back down? What's the difference between us and Paul? How was it that he overcame these things? That's what we need to know. So that we can rise up and be bold like he was. My prayer today is that God will break the chains of shame and fear from our lives. And help us to live as faithful, loving proclaimers of the gospel. We need those chains to be broken. Again and again. We need to be let out of that prison of fear. In in today's text, we're going to learn Four secrets to Paul's boldness. Four secrets to his boldness. To proclaim the gospel, to live for the gospel, and even die for the gospel. And I'm going to ask Adam to go ahead and put this slide up on the the board here. This is the, uh, the outline of thoughts today. So number one, the first secret is that Paul was not ashamed of the gospel. How could he be so bold? Answer, he wasn't ashamed. You say, why is that? We're going to look at three reasons. Number one, because the gospel is so glorious. 
from Paul's perspective, the gospel is so grand, so majestic, wonderful, and glorious. How could you be ashamed of something so great? Number two, Paul is confident about his calling and his identity. And thirdly there, because God will not let the gospel fail. And Paul was confident about that. So the first secret as to why Paul was continually bold about the gospel, he wasn't ashamed about the gospel, and these are the reasons why underneath that. Secondly, Paul practiced what he preached. Therefore, he had nothing to be ashamed of. You know, oftentimes the reason that we are ashamed of the gospel is because we didn't proclaim the gospel. We feel bad. Oh, man, I let that opportunity pass. Why did I do that? But Paul was not ashamed about the gospel because he practiced what he preached. He had nothing to be ashamed of. His life matched his words. He practiced what he preached. Thirdly, Paul guarded the gospel. He was committed to standing up for the gospel. In other words, he faced his fears. When people said false things about the gospel, when they tried to twist the gospel, or when they threatened to persecute him for the gospel, he stood up. He faced those things. And fourthly, Paul did not disassociate from people who loved the gospel. He did not disassociate from people who love the gospel. Now I'm going to leave this up here today so that as we're walking through this passage, you'll be able to see where we are, be able to understand. You might be wondering right now, like, well, this is a letter to Timothy. So how are we going to learn these things about Paul? Well, based on the things that Paul is saying to Timothy, you can see his mindset and you can learn about his heart. And you can learn the place where he was coming from in order to exhort Timothy to live a life on fire for the gospel. So Paul's four secrets. Number one, he's not ashamed. And this is going to be the, the most robust thing that we talk about today. We're going to spend a lot of our time here on talking about this. Because once we understand this idea of shame and how the enemy uses shame and then how to defeat it with the gospel, the rest of the points just will open up based on that. So Paul's not ashamed of the gospel. He says in verse 8, let's follow along in our Bibles here. Therefore, do not be ashamed. So he tells Timothy right off the bat, Timothy, you've been given a spirit of power and love and of a sound mind. You should be on fire for the gospel. Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. So what is the testimony about our Lord? It is the gospel message that he has in view. Look at what he goes on to say. Nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel. The testimony of the Lord is the gospel message. He goes on to talk about the gospel in verses 9 and 10. He saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of works, but because of his own purpose and grace, etc. So this is the subject that he's dealing with here. The gospel message, he says, don't be ashamed about it. Verse 
Paul, what do you mean? Don't be ashamed. One helpful question to ask, what does it mean to be ashamed of something? It means that you, sh- you feel ashamed about that, whatever it is. If I say, hey, don't be ashamed of the gospel, I'm saying don't feel shame with respect to the gospel or related to the gospel. Two more questions. What is the connection between shame and fear? Think about it. What are the, what's the connection between shame and fear? Are they synonymous? He says in verse 6, I remind you to feign and to flame the gift of God. Verse 7, for God gave us not a spirit of timidity or cowardice or fear. And in verse 8, he says, do not be ashamed of the testimony. So there's this connection between shame and fear. We shouldn't be afraid. Don't be ashamed. So there is a relationship between these things, but they are not synonymous. They do not mean the exact same thing. Fear, these definitions are very important, okay? Fear is an emotional response to danger. Fear is an emotional response to danger. But shame is an emotional response to failure or defeat, or when someone fools you. Again, shame is the emotional response. Get that, it's an emotion. It's a response to failure or defeat, or when someone fools you. It's the feeling that you get when you feel like you look bad in front of others. So a couple weeks ago, I attempted to go ice skating at uh, Crown Center. God's my witness, my, my skates did not fit. It's probably not why I fell, but <laughs> I was struggling and I get out there on the ice and no sooner do I step on the ice, but I fall. I mean, just flat on my back, whack, right on my back. <laughs> and as I hit the ice, it dawns on me, boy, that really was probably ridiculous looking. I started to feel a bit embarrassed because I failed to do something that everybody else around me was just like, you know, doing so effortlessly. And then I thought to myself, well, it's not that big a deal. It happened so fast. And and the people I'm with, they're kind of way over there on the other side of the ring. They probably didn't see, so who cares? But I got up and I got off the ice. Maybe I can't remember if I skated around once. I can't remember. But I got off the ice. I was like, man, I got to fix my, got to get some different skates. So I go and I try to get different skates. And, and I tried different pair on, they didn't fit, etc. I, I come back out, and I just, I just hung it up. I was like, I'm not even skate today. So I just put my shoes back on. I walked back up to our group, and they were all just laughing when I walked up. I was wondering, like, what are they laughing about? They're like, wow, ah, man, we saw you as soon as you stepped on the ice. You fell down. And I was like, oh, my goodness. I, felt, I was fighting shame the rest of the day, you guys. I was embarrassed. Because I... Made a fool of myself. I couldn't do what I attempted to do. You can all relate to the feeling of shame. And if we think about it, fear and shame can be powerful motivators. And they can work together against us. Why did David pray over and over again in the Psalms? Do not let me be put to shame. 
Do not let my enemies triumph over me. If you were to look that up, that phrase in the Psalms, you will see it over and over and over again. Don't let me be put to shame. Don't let me be defeated by my enemies. Why is David praying this? He's afraid of being defeated. And the feelings and the dishonor that would be associated with it. So we go back to what Paul tells Timothy here. Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. He's saying, do not be afraid of defeat and the feelings associated with it. That's huge. Do not be afraid of defeat or the feelings associated with it. God gave us not a spirit of fear, but of love and power and of a sound mind. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. But what if people reject you in the gospel? Doesn't that mean you failed? Didn't they seem to win if they persecuted you and they beat you up and they walked away? Don't you look like a fool for trusting God? And then getting publicly mocked? Wouldn't these be embarrassing situations? Are you, are you with me? And the answer is yes, in part. Those would be humbling and shaming experiences. And they would require us to endure suffering. But Paul tells Timothy how to endure the shame. We tap into the power of God and we fight back against shame. Look at what it says in verse 8. Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in suffering. That is, endure suffering. Yes, it's hard. Yes, you're going to feel ashamed, but endure it for the gospel's sake by the power of God. We endure the shame. We face the shame. We fight back against the shame by the power of God. You need his help. We have to tap into God's power. If we don't tap into God's power, we will shrink back. And we will retreat from the battle lines. So we must fight back against the emotional response of shame. Consider this, that it is biblical to fight back against unwanted or ungodly emotions, isn't it? Think about anger. Do you let anger just rage and rule in your heart? No, you fight back against it. What about jealousy? Should you just let jealousy fester and hate somebody? No, you should resist it. You should fight back against that Emotion. What about lustful desires and feelings? Should you let them take over and lust? Or should you resist and fight back? No, you have to fight back. Shame is the same way. It's an unwanted emotional response and we have to resist it. And this is where it's a little confusing because shame can be a good thing, right? Like you should feel ashamed if you do something wrong. Remember Adam and Eve in the garden? They took the fruit that God told them not to take. What did they do? They covered themselves with fig leaves because they felt ashamed. So shame can be an appropriate response when you've done something wrong. But it's a confusing emotion. 
Here's why. You can be manipulated to feel shame when you're doing something right. You can be manipulated to feel shame. You can be manipulated to feel shame when you're doing something right. And if you feel shame for doing something right, beware, because you are being attacked and manipulated by the enemy in hopes of silencing you. You say, well, I feel embarrassed. I feel like I'm doing something wrong sharing the gospel. I feel like it's awkward, like it's socially unacceptable. Yeah, you do. You know why? Because you're being attacked. You're being manipulated by the enemy. You're doing the right thing. If you could see the smile on your Savior's face, you could see the pride beaming from God's face. Look at my son. Look at my daughter. Look at the way they're taking on the kingdom of darkness. Look at the way they're trying to set the captives free. You, you would be empowered. But instead, you're made to feel shame. You're being manipulated. Paul says, do not be ashamed of the gospel. I don't think that Paul means that you can avoid the feelings of shame. No, you're going you're gonna to feel ashamed. But you can be discerning. Can't you? And you can recognize that the enemy, the enemy is manipulating you to feel shame in order to silence you. And that's where you take a stand. Don't back down. Don't give in to that temptation. Don't let those feelings rule you. You are a Christian. You have been given a spirit of power and love and self-discipline which means that you do the hard thing like an athlete who trains so that he can perform a certain skill. He's self-disciplined. You have to be self-disciplined. You have to say, I'm going to stand up against shame. I'm not going to back down. I'm not going to let the enemy manipulate me. We suffer through shame. We're going to feel ashamed. You're going to be attacked with this emotion. But you overcome it by the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul says, share in suffering. That is endure suffering for the gospel. By the power of God. You have to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. When you're rejected or disrespected, or treated like an outcast, or arrested, or crucified, you rely on God's power and not your own. It's the only way. If you rely on, your, on yourself and those emotions that you're feeling and how bad it feels, and if you start thinking about how other people are looking at you, you're going to fail. You're going to sink. You've got to rely on the power of God. You say, how do I do that? Number one, cry out in prayer. How do you rely on the power of God? How do you access the power? How do you plug into that power source when your battery is dying? 
How do you plug into the power source of God and overcome things like shame and fear? Cry out to him in prayer. Oh God, like David did in the Psalms, do not let me be put to shame. Don't let me succumb to this emotion. Don't let me give up. Don't let me be faint hearted. Help me to remember that you give me power and love and sound mind. Go back to the scripture. Don't let my enemies triumph over me. Give me the boldness to keep proclaiming the gospel and not be silent. Help me to love those who hate me. Cry out. If you need help, ask. Ask the one who stands by and is ready to help you. Number two, draw strength from his promises. Remember his promises. I want to give you two that I often go back to. Number one, God will have the last word. Philippians 2, 9 through 11. Therefore, God highly exalted Christ and he bestowed on Christ the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Guess what? Everybody's going to believe the gospel sooner or later. And they might not believe it when I give it to them and proclaim it to them. And they might beat me down and I might, they might make me feel ashamed. But you know what? I'm going to go back to the promise of God because I know I'm right. I know the victory is mine. It's in Christ. And I know that one day... They will know the truth. Second promise that I cling to, we will feast in the house of Zion. Isaiah 26, 1 through 4. In that day when the Messiah returns to the world, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. He sets up salvation as walls and bulwarks. Open the gates that the righteous nation that keeps faith may enter in. You, God, keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. I feel ashamed, but I'm going to be at perfect peace because I trust in God. Trust in the Lord forever for Yah Yahweh is an everlasting rock. The Lord God is an everlasting rock. This is my hope. That one day, I'm going to feast in the house of Zion. And I'm going to gather together with the people of God. And I'm going to be singing on that day about how trustworthy and how faithful God is. And if I'm going to be singing about it on that day, why not believe it right now? That's what I'm going to be singing about. That's what I'm going to know when I'm in glory. I'm going to believe it right now. I'm going to feast in the house of Zion. I have hope. No matter what anybody else in this world says about me, does about me, does to me. One more way to fight shame. Keep shame in its proper perspective. Keep shame in its proper perspective. Hebrews 12, 1 to 2. Listen to how Jesus dealt with shame. And he dealt with a lot of it, didn't he? Listen to how Jesus dealt with it. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, 
Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, listen, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So he saw glory before him. He endured the suffering and the shame of the cross. He despised the shame of the cross. And now he's sitting at the right hand of God and he's rewarded for his obedience. How did Jesus deal with shame? Well, this, this phrase, despising the shame, it means that he, he, he looked on shame with contempt. He thought very little of it. He disrespected shame. He kept his eyes on the prize and he thought that shame was pathetic in comparison. You can hear Jesus taunting shame on the way to cross the cross. Shame, you are weak. You're based on a lie. You are temporary. But the glory of God is eternal. Out of my way, shame. Out of my way. He thought very little of shame. You know what your problem is and my problem is? We think very much of shame. We think very much of honor and the praise of man. Jesus hated it. He despised it. He thought little, very little of it. He mocked shame. Forget you, shame. He just brushed it off. He kept it in the proper perspective. Stop making a big deal of the shame. And keep making a big deal of the cross. Keep making a big deal of the gospel. Keep opening your mouth. Don't let shame and the enemy silence you. So the first secret to Paul's boldness is that he had no shame for the gospel. You say, well, this is what he's telling Timothy, Samuel. What about verse 12? This gospel message, this is why I suffer. I was appointed a a preacher, apostle, and a teacher. This is why I suffer as I do, but I am not ashamed. Timothy, I am commanding you, don't be ashamed. I'm not commanding you to do anything that I don't hold myself accountable to. I am not ashamed. Timothy, don't you be ashamed. I'm not ashamed. Why? Paul, why? Why aren't you ashamed? Number one, Timothy, consider the gospel. The gospel is so glorious, so profound, so wonderful, so marvelous. How could I be ashamed of the gospel? Verses 9 and 10. Look at the gospel that Paul proclaims. He says, share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. By the way, Timothy, here is the gospel. He saved us. We have been rescued by God. He effectually called us to a holy calling. He saved us and he called us to a holy calling. I say he effectually called us because God called us when we were dead. You cannot respond 
to anything if you are dead, unless the voice that called you has supernatural power to revive you and give you life and the ability to respond. That's an effectual calling. He called you. It had this powerful, mighty effect in your life. It awakened you. I'm not ashamed of that. He called us to a holy calling. He raised us from the dead to live holy lives of service unto him. I'm not ashamed of that. We did nothing to deserve this. He goes on to say there, it was not because of works. See that? He called us to a holy calling, not because of our works. You know what your works deserved? Death. The wages of sin is death. That is the only work that we did before salvation is we worked to rack up a sin debt. We don't deserve this gospel. We deserve the exact opposite. But Jesus suffered in our place. I'm not ashamed of that. He saved us for an eternal purpose. Not because of works, but because of his own purpose. God has an eternal purpose for us. To glorify God is our Redeemer forever and ever. To praise his glorious grace. If you want to see Paul talk all about this in detail, read Ephesians chapter 1. Where he goes into great detail about the purpose for which God saved you. To praise your Redeemer for his glorious grace forever and ever. Then read chapter 2, you'll see more of the same. Paul preaching the gospel in Ephesians 1 and 2. He saved us by his grace, not because of works, but because of his own purpose and grace. God is so good. His loving kindness is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. I'm not ashamed of that. No, I, no I'm not good enough to go to heaven. I didn't earn this trip on my own. Jesus paid it in full. I'm not ashamed. He saved me by his grace. This grace, it says, it goes on to say, if you're looking in verse 9 with me, he saved us by his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. So within the gospel, we see that we are predestined or chosen before time to receive this salvation. Brothers and sisters, before Genesis 1-1, when God created the heavens and the earth, before that, He had a plan for human history and he had a destiny for you to be with him in glory forever. And he said, I will do whatever it takes to save Jesus, to save Joseph, to save Abby, to save Tim, to save Silas. I'm going to save that when you were handpicked, you were chosen before time. You should not be ashamed of that. What an honor. Why me? God, how could you? I'm so grateful, but I'm not ashamed. Then God sent the embodiment of grace. Verse 10. This grace which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, in which now has, that is, his grace has now been manifested 
through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus. God sent the embodiment of grace. Why? To shatter the power of the curse of sin and death. Christ Jesus has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to life through the gospel. Jesus shattered the power of curse and he showed us the way to the abundant life and the eternal life that God has for us. He shined light on that path. Read over the, that verse again. Verse 10. Has now been manifested, brought into the open. This great plan that God has kept hidden, now it's been made fully visible through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ. He abolished death, brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Jesus brought the path to eternal life to light. Could we ask for a better gospel? Did God leave something out of this story? Could it be more glorious than it is? It's powerful. It's awesome. It's amazing. It's wonderful. How could we ever be ashamed of this good news? What does a little bit of shame matter in comparison to this gospel and the glory that it contains? So is Paul ashamed of the gospel? No. Is he ashamed for being a prisoner? Absolutely not. He knows that the gospel is glorious and that he's an authorized spokesman of it. Paul is confident about his identity. Look at what he says. In verse 11, I was appointed a preacher an apostle, and a teacher. And this is why I suffer as I do. It's not because I did something wrong. I'm not in prison for doing something wrong. I'm in prison because I was doing something right. I was living out my holy calling. I was proclaiming the gospel. I was making known who God is and, and what he has done. I, I, I am an apostle. That is, I, I was sent out away from the church into enemy territory, into the, the Gentile territory. And I was in enemy territory when I was apprehended and bound and put in prison. But I was doing the right thing as an apostle. I'm a teacher of the gospel. I explain in light of this gospel and what God has done. I explain to people and I teach people how they should live. And I was doing that. And that's why I got arrested. See, Paul, he's a preacher. He proclaims what God has done. Sent his son from heaven to earth. Proclaims who God is. He proclaims this, this, this gospel that we see here. He goes into the enemy territory. He's a teacher. And we see this pattern in his books. If you're familiar with Paul's writing, that's how, for instance, the book of Ephesians is laid out, right? It starts out with proclamation of the gospel. And then he makes it very clear that he's an apostle. And then he goes on to teach people in light of the gospel. This is how you should live. He's a preacher, he's an apostle, he's a teacher. He's like, I'm doing everything that I was supposed to do. I have a clear conscience. I'm not ashamed. I was sent to set the captives free. 
So it makes sense that people who are taking advantage of other people and enslaving them would persecute me. Paul said, this all makes perfect sense. From a worldly perspective, it looks like I was doing something wrong, like I'm a fool, like I just threw my whole life away and like I'm in prison. But that's the wrong perspective. I was marching into enemy territory. I was setting the captives free. And because that the powers of darkness had control over wicked people who were holding people in bondage and slavery to sin, didn't like it. They arrested me and they put me in a prison. That's why I'm here. I don't care what anybody else says. I know the reason. The owners of the demon-possessed, fortune-telling slave girl didn't want Paul to set her free from the evil spirit. In Acts chapter 16, verse 16, you can read that story if you're not familiar with it. Paul cast the demon out of this little girl. She had a, a, a spirit in her that was helping her to tell people's fortunes. Paul cast the demon out. The slave owners got mad. They put him in prison. Hey, we were making a lot of money off that girl. You set her free. We don't want her to be free. We want her to be enslaved because she was helping us make a lot of money. So now we're going to put you in prison. Drug dealers do not want to lose their addicts. Abortion doctors do not want to lose their clients. Idol makers do not want to lose their business. But when you preach a gospel that sets the captives free. And when the gospel begins to cost the kingdom of darkness dollars. You're a threat. You preach the gospel and everybody leaves the bars. You're a threat. That's why Paul's in prison. He was hunted down and he was persecuted. Because he was an enemy of the evil one. Paul, aren't you ashamed? You're in big trouble. Paul says, I'm not ashamed that I got arrested. Think about that. Everybody else in prison, they, they, they kind of cover up their faces, right? They're ashamed for the reason they're there. Paul's like, I'm not ashamed. I do anything wrong. Paul's identity was, he was so convictional about his identity, wasn't he? In verse 11, I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher. That's why I am suffering. But I am not ashamed. And here is a, it, here's a reason that factored into his identity and why it was so strong. For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what he has entrusted to me. This, this part of the sentence where Paul says, I know whom I have believed. The Greek, in the Greek language, it, it changes tenses here. And it's, it's, it's a really important shift or nuance. Paul says, I know whom I have believed. This is written in the perfect tense in Greek. The perfect tense in Greek is like a blend between the, the past tense and the present tense, okay? We don't really have this in English, but it's a blend. 
He's talking about something that, that happened in the past. But he's saying, but it has this present ongoing effect. And the emphasis on the word is in the now. Paul says, I know whom I have believed. See, I have believed him in the past, but I believe him right now. And I know him right now. I have relationship with Jesus right this very moment. Relationship is when you not only talk to someone, but they talk back to you and you have this, this connection happening. And Paul's saying, I have a connection with Jesus. This is why I'm not ashamed. Because people can take all the praise of man away from me. They can put me in prison. They can slander my reputation outside of these walls. But I have a reputation with Jesus. Right here and right now that's current. And he's feeding into me. And he's filling me with power. And I know whom I have believed. I trust him right now. And I'm still fully convinced. Totally confident that he's going to protect what he's entrusted to me. Well, what did Jesus entrust to Paul? The gospel. He was a preacher. He was an apostle. He was a teacher. God had given him the treasure of the gospel to promote it. And what does Paul say here? This is an interesting piece of information piece of information he shares because he doesn't say that he's going to protect the gospel that Paul's going to protect it he says I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me I believe that God is going to protect the gospel even though I'm in prison my reputation is being bashed God is able to protect this gospel message. He is able to preserve its power and its beauty from the scorn of men. I'm persuaded. I'm convinced. I am sure. I am certain, Paul says, that the gospel is God's message and no one will ever stop it or defeat it. God is the undefeated, undisputed champion of all creation. And nobody is going to be able to take his treasure away from him. See, God is carrying the gospel. God is guarding the gospel. The gospel is his treasure. Paul says, you know what? My life is almost over. I'm not going to be able to defend this anymore. But you know what? People, people are mad at me. They're hating on me. But what they don't realize is that who they really hate is the one I represent. Because he is the one who's been working in me to promote this gospel. He is the one who has been blessing my ministry. He is the one who has been saving people. And he's going to keep doing it. I'm so confident. It doesn't matter if I'm in prison or not. I love what he says. Look further down in uh, chapter 2, verse 8, 9. Chapter 2, verse 9. I am suffering for the gospel, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Do you see his, his tone and his attitude there? It's like they just slapped him in the face and put him in prison. He's like, but the word of God is not bound. Like, you'll never stop the Bible. You'll never stop the gospel. You'll never stop God. No matter what you do to me. Because this is his treasure. 
You can put me out of commission. You can take my life, but you'll never take God's life. You'll never put him out of commission. He's just going to take the Holy Spirit in me and the gospel in me, and he's going to fire Timothy up, and then Timothy's going to go. You're going to kill Timothy? He's going to put it in the next guy, and he's going to go. You can't stop this message. I'm not afraid. I'm not ashamed. (laughs) Brothers and sisters, I would not go into the den of a bear and try to take one of her cubs. If a bear can defend her cubs, God can defend his gospel. So Paul's not ashamed. He practiced what he preached. He goes on to tell Timothy, follow the pattern of the sound words. Verse 13, follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. This gospel message, this pattern, these sound words produce a lifestyle of love and faith. And Timothy, you have seen this in me. I have set this example. Look at chapter 4, verse 7. This is what Paul says at the end of his life. Ready? Chapter 4, verse 7. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I kept the pattern of sound words and the faith and love that are in Jesus. It's possible, Timothy, you can live this way. You can take the gospel and the teachings and the pattern and the picture that the gospel gives us and your life can become conformed to that. And you can be faithful to that and you can live this out and you can endure suffering just like Jesus did. Paul followed the pattern that he preached to Timothy. Paul was faithful. He said, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. And you couldn't argue the point. If you knew Paul and you're willing to be honest, you could say, man, that guy right there, that's what it means to follow Jesus. That's what it means to love Jesus. He's faithful to the end. He was on fire. He kept the fire blazing. And so Paul's not afraid to call people to die for the gospel because he's willing to do it himself. We cannot preach with full conviction unless we are willing to live it out ourselves, unless we are living it out ourselves. Paul, how are you able to exhort Timothy to do these things? He's got the same fire. He's he's living it out. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Keep living the Christian life. Keep doing the job that God gave you to do. In the face of suffering and shame, what are you going to do? Endure suffering. Continue living loud for the gospel's sake. Keep making sacrifices. Keep evangelizing. Keep trusting God. Keep loving people. Keep going. Don't stop. You can either go backwards In your Christian life, or you could go forwards. You can't stay the same. Pick one. Go forwards and keep going forward. Keep doing the job. He's not ashamed. 
And Paul stands up for the gospel. He guards the good deposit. He tells Timothy to do that, and he's willing to do the same. Notice what it says there in verse 14. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. We both have the Holy Spirit to do what? Guard the good deposit. Paul has stood up for the gospel. He has defended the gospel with his life. He says, Timothy, do the same thing. What does it mean to guard the good deposit? Look back at 1 Timothy chapter 6. Hang in there. We're winding down here. First Timothy chapter six. We can understand from the context here what Paul means when he says guard the good deposit. Chapter six, verse three, if anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he's puffed up with conceit and he understands nothing. So Paul is saying you, you must teach the right doctrine. It has to lead to a holy life. It has to agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that is the gospel. The sound words of our Lord Jesus, that is the gospel. Paul says, preach and teach the gospel. Timothy, look at verse 11. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. In other words, live a holy life. If you really believe the gospel, it's going to produce a holy life. Verse 13, I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. You, Timothy, keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Keep the commandment unstained and free from blemish. Free from reproach. Until Jesus returns. Now look at verse 20. O Timothy, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Do you see what he's saying in this section? You've been given the gospel. Now guard it. I think verse 14 is especially like if you want to say like, exactly what does guard, guard the good deposit mean? Verse 14. Keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of Christ. That's guarding the gospel. Right there. It's exactly what it means. Keep the commandment unstained. That is, keep the gospel pure. Don't add anything to it. Don't mix any ideology or philosophy from the world into the gospel. Don't add anything to it. Don't take anything away from it. Leave it alone. Preach it how it is. Secondly, keep it from reproach. The Greek word there means discredit. Keep the gospel free from being discredited. Don't do anything that would discredit what you preach. You preach the word, now follow it up with your lifestyle and live out the word. Don't do anything that would discredit it. For instance, if you preach the gospel changes your life, then don't go back to sin. That would discredit what you were saying. You said the gospel changes you, but then you went back and did the same old things. You're discrediting the gospel. That's not guarding the good deposit. 
that's going to open up the gospel to slander. People are going to say, oh, yeah, they preach this you know, thing about Jesus and that you can live a holy life and love people. That, that's not true. They go out and do the same things we do every weekend. They talk the same way that we do. Oh, see, so you brought discredit to the gospel. What about backing down from your preaching? If you say on Sunday morning, everybody needs to hear the gospel. This is such good news. But if I back down from preaching it during the week and I don't share it with anyone, that discredits what I say from the pulpit on Sunday morning. Well, I must not believe what I said on Sunday morning. I've discredited the message by my actions. Guard the good deposit. Going back to what Paul said in chapter four, verse seven, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. I have guarded the good deposit. I'm not ashamed. I stand up for the gospel. I preach it. I proclaim it. And my lifestyle backs it up and shows the power of God by the way I live. The last point that we wanted to, to be sure to pull out here is that Paul didn't associate, I'm sorry, disassociate from other, from other people who believe the gospel. If you notice back in verse eight, it says, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. Timothy, don't disassociate from me. Clearly, Paul's not disassociating from Timothy. You can see that in verses 1 through 7. He dearly loves him. He's clinging to him. He's holding him close. Furthermore, Paul wasn't just this bold apostle and and evangelist without the help of a team and without the help of other people. Look at what it says in verse 15 and following. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus, For he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. See, Paul was refreshed by his companions, by his friends, by his people who believed the gospel. Don't disassociate. Don't let shame separate you from people who are on fire for the Lord. What about Phygelus and Hermogenes? What happened to these guys? You're aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. Like, here's an example of disassociation. These guys wouldn't stick it out with me. They failed when it came to courage. They left me like Peter on the night of the betrayal. They said, I never knew him. They turned away from Paul. But what about Anisiphorus? Anisiphorus. (laughs) That's a mouthful. What about him? See how Paul's giving these examples. Here's an example of unfaithfulness. People who are ashamed, but not in this verse. <laughs> not him. For he often refreshed me. Look at that. Often refreshed me. This guy is passionate. He often refreshed me over and over again. He encouraged me and he was not ashamed. You see that Onesiphorus guy? Not ashamed of the gospel. But when he arrived in Rome, what did he do? He searched earnestly for me and found me. See how passionate, see how zealous on this verse is? May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service 
he rendered at Ephesus. This guy is a shining example of faithfulness. He's on fire for the Lord. Closely associated himself with Paul. Believers sticking together. Onesiphorus, another example of someone who kept the flame burning bright. Another example of someone who was willing to risk his name, his face, his reputation, everything so that he could go and minister to Paul in prison again and again to refresh Paul. If Paul were writing to Timothy about us today, what category would he put us in? Would he categorize you with five... With Phygelus and Hermogenes, or would he count you to be faithful like Onesiphorus? As we close, I want you to look in the mirror now and ask yourself this question. Are you on fire for the gospel or are you ashamed of it? If you're ashamed, I have compassion for you. I understand where you're coming from. But you should not be ashamed of something so great and so glorious as the gospel. That's like saying that you're embarrassed about how shallow the Grand Canyon is. Have you ever been to the Grand Canyon? Did you dare to walk up to the edge and look over the edge and just look into the the depths and the beauty of the Grand Canyon? Would you walk away from that and say, man, I'm just ashamed at how shallow that is. No, you you could. That doesn't make any sense at all. You'd never be ashamed. You'd just be filled with awe and you would leave proclaiming, wow, how great is the Grand Canyon. So how could you look into the gospel and to the depths of God's love for you and then deny it? It doesn't make any sense. Are you looking into the gospel? Do you know how deep it is? How deep and how long and how wide and how strong and God's infinite love is for you. Why are you ashamed of that? I'm going to ask Adam to put one more uh, slide up there. And it's uh, Peyton Love. If you're, not, if you're not fired up for the gospel and living on fire, I want you to consider these different uh, reasons. Do you have training? Have you been taught how to minister? You say, well, maybe that, that's, that's one of the reasons right there that I don't have fire for the gospel in my life. I just don't know what I'm doing. I want to be fired up, but I don't feel like I know how to ride the bike, and so I'm not going to get on it and try. Do you have opportunities? Do you know where the fish are? Do you need help finding people to minister to? You say, man, I am so fired up for the gospel, just Point me in the right direction. <laughs> I will go. I will talk to anybody, anywhere, anytime. Just help me know where the, the, the people are that I need to minister to. Maybe you need help finding the opportunities. What about tools? Do you have everything you need to, to do the job, whether it's the word or prayer or a ministry coworker? You say, I need to know more about those things. If I'm going to proclaim the gospel, I really need to know the word better. I need to know how to pray so that when, it, when, the, when the shame comes, I know how to pray. I know how to defeat that. You say, I need an example to follow. I, you know, I don't know if anybody's like Paul these days. Brothers and sisters, 
follow Matthew Inman around. Follow Joseph and Abby Williams around. You think, no, people don't live like Paul did anymore. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. You say, uh, what, are the, what are the expectations? I don't know what to do and how to do it. Or I don't really have a trainer like Paul. I need someone who can cheer me on or, or help, help me work on my game and pray for me. Maybe you're not on fire today because of unconfessed sin or just a lack of discipline. You know, if you don't use it, you lose it, right? I used to play basketball nonstop growing up, but when I step on the court today, the air balls are coming. <laughs> I dribble it off my foot. I miss the pass. Why? Because I'm not using it anymore. I don't, care. I, mean, I don't discipline myself unto basketball anymore. If you don't discipline yourself unto godliness, you lose the edge. He said, that's why I'm not on fire right there. I've got everything I need, but I just, I just, for some reason, I've fallen out of practice. And the final question, I don't know if it's on the board. It's not on the board. But the final question is this. Are you willing to take responsibility for whatever is necessary to be on fire for Christ? You say, I'm not on fire. I, I'm, I'm lacking in one of these areas. Or maybe it's, maybe it's something that's not even on the sheet. But I'm lacking. Well, what is it that's holding you back? Are you going to take personal responsibility to repent of that or to get training in that area or to get help or to get an example or to get a mentor to pour into you and hold your feet to the fire? What is it that you need to be faithful? Tell somebody whatever it is. Tell somebody. That's what the question in your bulletin is all about. Are you taking the opportunities to be faithful and fired up about Jesus? Why or why not? We need to have that conversation with each other. It's okay. You say, I'm just tired. I'm just discouraged. I'm going through a lot in my life right now. I want to be fired up for Jesus, but I need help. I need prayer. I need encouragement. Those are the conversations we need to walk away from this place having today. So that we can fan into flame the gift of God that is in us. So that we can be a church on fire, not ashamed, and not afraid of the gospel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for this day. We thank you for your word that speaks to our hearts and it just nails us with conviction, Lord. Lord, I confess that when I began studying this passage this week... I was just ignorant about shame. I was confused by it. I didn't understand it. And I didn't see how it was working in my heart and how it was just like a coldness, like a, like a, a wet blanket on my heart. There's just like this, this shame. And God, through the scriptures you brought to light, this enemy of the evil one and how he was using it against me and how the power of the Holy Spirit can break the chains. And God, I just pray for your church today that you break the, the chains of shame and fear off of our lives. Jesus said, nobody takes a lamp and hides it under a basket. But God, many of us have this, this like this covering of shame and it's just covering up the light. And God, I pray today that you would remove 
the covering, remove the shame, dispel the darkness and the fear, drive the doubt and darkness away. God set us free so that we catch fire and constantly live lives on fire for you. And God, if we feel that fire starting to go out, that we would call out to you in prayer, that we would remember your promises. God, so that we might be faithful to live lives that are on fire, burning bright, blazing with love and faith for the gospel. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand as we sing.